0: Welcome back. It's Howl History. This is Derek. I'm with Chad once again, and this is your We Have Two Weeks Until the Trade Deadline episode. Chad, you excited? Do you think the Timberwolves are going to make any big deals, or are they kind of rolling right now and we should stick with what we got? Yeah. I mean,
1: normally I love trade deadline mm-hmm. time of year, but this year, like, there's not really any players I want to get rid of on this team. Right. <laughs> so it's, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really excited about it from the Timberwolves standpoint. I think there's some intriguing things that could happen for other teams um, that I might be excited about. But I mean, if the wolves make a move, I don't expect it to be a big one. So I'm not like, I just hope they just don't disrupt too much. You yeah, know, I guess.
0: I mean, I think that's the big risk right now is that they spent, they have spent so much time trying to figure out the perfect rotations, the perfect way to use guys in and out to blend their starting lineup with their bench that if they do make a big disruptive trade for either, whether or not it's an all-star, that's going to come with a large amount of risk and the fact that they then need to figure out all the rotations again in a matter of 30 games before the end of the season and not have it cost them enough games to slide in the standings so yeah and and just last episode when we talked where i was like all four trading like torian prince
1: because he was a big dollar mm -hmm. guy that we could you know get a significant piece back and he wasn't really a substantial piece of the mix here but the last few games he's been carving out a pretty big role he's had a couple pretty important games for us so now he's kind of got a role i mean i think overall that's kind of what i like about this team is that Finch's and the staff are kind of like going guy by guy that you know outside the big three they're kind of looking at each player individually and saying okay how can we tweak your touches your skill set better for this team and he's and they're just, it's almost like you can kind of see it in a timeline, just like each guy all of a sudden like starts to figure things out, whether that's, you know, Vanderbilt mm-hmm. early in the year, struggling then Jalen Noel. And then, um, uh, Jade McDaniels more recently, they're starting to get him touches other than just spot up corner threes. He's still taking a lot of those too, but they're getting them other things. And now, and then Torian Prince, you know, the most recently. So it's, it's kind of cool to see, like I just, it's very systematic. Um, and that's been one of the, I don't know, the the brightest spots of the season for me, is just being able to watch that evolution right, from the beginning to, to where we are now.
0: Yep, yeah, you know, and the the biggest disappointment so far from the offseason expectations are still Malik Beasley and Jaden McDaniels. I know that we, we still have high hopes for Jaden. We're not going to dump him for anything, you know, for just move off of him or to make a short-term improvement. Beasley is still kind of the player that... I don't know. I think if people were to look at that salary number especially in future years and to try to find any type of value that the Wolves might be able to offer in a trade, he might be the most, you know, the one that people could stomach the most moving on, moving or moving off of. The question that's been running through my head, the hypothetical has been, would the Timberwolves be more improved for the rest of this season and beyond by moving Beasley for somebody who fits better and fits fills a, a need right now? Or if Malik Beasley just became Malik Beasley from last year again, if he starts hitting the way that we expected him to, is that an, is that the improvement that the, the Wolves actually need? Does he still have a large enough role with the emergence of Jalen Noel and Pat, Patrick Beverly to improve the w- Wolves enough just by becoming who we think he can be? I, I yeah, I
1: think for sure he does. I mean, I, so I would I would disagree slightly in that. I'm not really that disappointed with Jaden McDaniels at all, frankly. I mean, I know, I don't know. I guess my expectations weren't any different than what he's doing based on what the role he's been given. I think my I am Beasley's been disappointing. I think I'm more disappointed. in Nas, another guy I was super high on at the yeah. beginning of the year, but I didn't like. I wasn't expecting Jaden as a 20 year old to come in and average 14 and eight. Like, especially when he was, even if when he was starting, he was starting as a just a defensive specialist. He wasn't really like. An option on offense other than a bailout at the last second mm-hmm. of the shot clock. So I'm not really concerned with him at all, frankly. Beasley is a different case and, and he's heat, heating up. I, I tend to agree that I absolutely think if we can get the Beasley of last year, I don't know that there's any gettable assets on the trade market that are better than what Beasley was last year. And like, you know, a couple weeks ago when we were talking about like needing a big. Um, I still think we could use some big depth, yeah. but that's much less of a uh, a hole today as it was even just two weeks ago with Vanderbilt playing better. Um, guys like Nathan Knight starting to at least getting some minutes um, and have opportunity, and then Torian Prince playing much better. Um, so if Beasley can get back to where he was last year, he could conceivably even go back to cracking the starting five and let Beverly go back to the bench. And then, you know, those two units look a little differently. Or he can just be the primary backup off the bench. I mean, he's still, when he's on, he's still a better player, in my opinion,
0: than Jalen Noel.
1: Noel. Yeah,
0: and I think those two are given plenty of opportunities to play side by side. It's not one or the other. There's enough no, it's not. opportunity yeah. there, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's, that's kind of my point. It's like you have a mix because right now you're starting two point guards mm-hmm. and then you have two shooting yards coming off the bench two years so you could easily shuffle those a little bit and kind of balance it all a bit better so yeah I think there's a if he can get back to where he was like he's you know he's still important now to be honest even when he's not playing awesome he still has had some big moments in games where he didn't play well Mm -hmm. all game but he's had big moments and so um I I wouldn't say no to like he's not untradeable but I don't think you're in panic mode where you got to try to ship them off either at the deadline. So um, yeah, I think the answer is like the, the Wolves are playing well enough. Now, like, now they're playing with house money because now they're over 500. Yep. If they can just maintain this level of play, I think fans here are going to be super excited. Um, I think the media will give them, you know, high reviews and grades. And so like they don't have to do a, make a big move now. Well, well, Goop don't want to make a move just for the sake of making a move because it's like, he hasn't really had to do anything yet, and he's trying to make sure he's the long-term right. guy here. So he has to kind of like earn that, and how does he earn that? Can he earn that with those guys by remaining patient and kind of stick into the plan? There might be value in that for those guys. They might be okay with that. Like I know everybody's assuming they want – like Mark Laura wants to make a big splash, but I don't know that we have any indication one way or the other other than just gut feelings from yeah. people, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean I think there's a number of names on the team that you'd be super disappointed to see leave, especially with the good vibes lately, the way they've been meshing and the way they actually enjoy being around each other. There are a few players on the team where it's it's just kind of a I like this guy, I think he's filling his role fine, but if he were not here uh, anymore, I could probably get over it pretty quickly. You know, it just Torian Prince as as well as he's been playing lately and as much as of, of a value that he's been providing um in the you know with the starters, he's We've got a lot of guys who are kind of in that break glass in case of emergency type role with, if you need Patrick Beverly to set up for five games, somebody else is going to step up. And right now, you know, Torian Prince has been that fifth guy with the starters. Even though he's not starting the game, I think he's kind of fit better with those guys than Jaden McDaniels has, you know, or, you know, Beasley and Noel have been doing their things. And it's just kind of like, yes, it's very nice to have somebody on the bench who you can feel comfortable stepping in and and filling a, a, a quality role, but I don't expect to see Torian Prince after the end of this year, no matter how well he does, you know, down the stretch here. So if they were able to turn him into a longer-term asset, I'd be fine with that. Not that I want Torian Prince to go. I just think yeah. that— No, I, yeah. I,
1: I'm with you on the Torian Prince. Like, Torian yeah. Prince is—I I mean, he's played well the last few games. I still would much rather play Jaden McDaniels and I. I. still think Jaden McDaniels has given us more than Torian Prince, frankly. I mean, because Torian Prince, the only thing he's given you more of is he's a more consistent shooter than Jaden. Mm-hmm. He's not the lockdown defender. Jaden is. Jaden still has the most difficult assignment on defense.
0: Yep. Whenever he's out there.
1: Whenever he's out there, whether it's him or Vanderbilt, those two guys—that's their roles—is to shut down the hottest or best player on the other team. And yep. both of them have been remarkably successful at that all year. So I, that's kind of why I'm not disappointed or down on Jaden because that's just, that's the role that he was targeted with. I think people got excited over summer league and and some of the the highlights from last year that thinking, Oh, he's going to be that third star or fourth star at, mm-hmm. at worst. But you know, to the point where we're like, we talked last time about people even talking about blowing it up and getting rid of Dilo and cat and building around Ant and Jaden. And I don't ever think Jaden's a number two star on any team as much as I'm buying all the Jane McDaniel stock. Right. I just, he's, he's not that kind of guy to me. Um, and so I, you know, I think, Hit, the way he's developing is just has been just fine. Like his, I think his shot looks sound. I think his form's fine. The shots just—it's just like, Ant last year's three-point shooting was awful, mm-hmm. and he he got to shoot nine a game to kind of shoot out of it. Jaden's getting two two and a half a game, like, you know, and they're never in the the um, rhythm of the offense. They're always like two seconds left, three seconds left on the shot clock. Kick it over to him because he's the only guy open, and so he's having to take a rushed shot in the corner, which isn't even like his game. Like it's, you know what I mean? It's just like, he's not in a position to succeed on offense at all right now. But I have faith that Finch, because of what Finch is doing with all these other guys. And he's starting to show some, some uh, more wrinkles to the offense where Jaden's able to cut and get in some, you know, Mm -hmm. pick and roll action and stuff like that. So once more of that develops for him, if he's still not performing, then I'll be concerned. Um, But Torian Prince is what, this is the best Torian Prince we're going to possibly
0: get. Yeah, no, I totally agree about that.
1: Yeah. And so I like if, if I offer came, but what's that offer look like? Is it a Harrison Barnes? Fine. Yeah. Maybe that helps a little bit. I think that's a slight upgrade. I don't think it's a drastic upgrade. So I'm not doing cartwheels one way or the other. You know what I mean? Like, so I I wouldn't hang up the phone for anybody asking what the unavailability of Touring Prince by any means. But at the same time,
0: I'm not like calling every team in the league saying, what will you give us for Touring Prince? Right. No, I mean you don't you don't need to make a change, which is a great spot they're in right now. They don't absolutely don't have to do that, except for Gupta, like you said, might be in a position where he feels the pressure to do so. Uh, you know, Coach Finch was on KFN the other morning, he said that his number one priority, you know, for the next period of time moving forward was to get uh, Malik Beasley right. So he said he's that's kind of his focus right now. So if he, if he is taking these players one at a time, like you suggest Beasley's the guy that he's on right now, and it's not like he hasn't been given the opportunity. He's been given all the minutes and all the shots he's wanted. So it's not necessarily just playing him more, but no. hopefully, hopefully no, they I, have something going on behind the scenes to help him yeah. figure out his and mind.
1: Beasley's the type of guy that it's it's not you're right, it's not about getting more time, but Beasley might be taking more shots outside of what the system that Finch wants him to. Yep. You know, not necessarily taking more shots than he wants him to, but just the wrong shots, right? Like and so those are the things I think Finch has excelled at so far. As the coach of the Wolves, of like kind of being able to fine tune guys' games to kind of fit their strengths much better. And, you know, Beasley's just been lower on the list because he hasn't been as, you know, important yet to the system, Mm -hmm. you know, thus far into the season. But come playoff time, when you're more in set in your half court sets and you're not able to get out and run as much as like the Wolves have been doing all regular season, Beasley's going to become that much more important, which is why I think there's intrigue around. To trade trade line because other playoff teams might be calling on him more than us shopping him because everybody can use a guy like that yeah you
0: know? I mean we talk about Jaden possibly being used in the wrong way he's not hitting his corner threes this year which is unfortunate and you know especially for the system that Finch has tried to put in in the offense that he's been playing in so you can give him time he's only a second year player you want to give him different opportunities in different areas but Beasley's got to start hitting his corner threes at a more consistent rate and I think that's been if, if he just did that you know, last year we saw so many games, or even if he wasn't the primary option, you knew that if he came off that curl and he hit the, the corner with the ball, you had a better than 50% chance of that shot going in, and you felt really, really good about it. This, yeah, year, this year, I don't feel that at all.
1: No, I think that's the big difference for the reason why I'm disappointed in Beasley and not worried at all about Jaden is kind of what you just hit on. Mm-hmm. One, Beasley's in or approaching the prime of his career, he's already making a big salary. And this is the only skill set that he does well. Yeah, Jaden, three-point shooting isn't even something you expected him to be able to do at all when you drafted him. He was drafted as a defensive, more of a defensive-minded player, but, you know, just more, almost more of a post. I mean, we are talking about him as a four at the end of last year. So now all of a sudden he's you're trying to make him do a stretch four or a three. Um, And, you know, so it's just, I think we're in a position with Jaden that it's just patience is going to be required here because he's, he's, not only is he only a second year player, he's a really young second year player. Yep. He's not, you know, he's older
0: than Ant, but he's still he's older than Ant. Young. But yeah.
1: Ant's also exceptionally young yeah. as a second year. Player. So I mean, Ant should be a rookie this year, you know. So um, there's just, you know, I, I mean, it, he's not going to be on Ant's level. I think that's the other rub against Jaden from people getting starting to get sour on him a little bit. Is like they see Ant blow up, but that's so unique, mm-hmm. which is why i people rightfully are so excited about Ant but look at which Andrew Wiggins didn't do this he was the number one pick I mean go you go down list of every rookie we've ever had right KG wasn't this electric in his second year you know I mean KG was younger too but it's just Ant's different I mean it's just he is you know and and Jaden's ceiling's not anywhere close to Ant's ceiling so I just think the expectation has to be set right for him
0: Well, we don't know what's coming up for this year's trade deadline. They might go out and make a big splash. They might bring a couple new guys in. Or they might just talk to the guys on the roster, ask them to take a look at the man in the mirror, ask them to change his ways, you know, get moving forward that way. Michael Jackson. Always. Come on. I had to give you an easy one now that we're just starting off in the 80s. Look at harder as we go. Better. That one's really easy. That's my jam. I know. I gave you the title of the song in the line of the song that I put out there. But either way, we're coming back to this episode. we got two weeks until the trade deadline. We're going to spend some time looking at the histo- history of the Minnesota Timberwolves at the trade deadline. We're going to walk through chronologically. Uh, there haven't been a ton of uh, years that the Timberwolves have made trades at the deadline, which I think is uh, fits with how I usually feel post-trade deadline when the Timberwolves do absolutely nothing, uh, because there have only been probably three or four different years where the Timberwolves have made a significant change uh, in February. But uh, we're going to walk through them, all, going all the way back to 1990 in a trade that we briefly discussed in season one of our of our podcast and then bringing it all the way up to uh, just a couple of years ago um, we're going to save a couple of the bigger ones for next week when we do more of a deep dive we really talk about you know the the ins and outs and exactly what happened but uh chad let's get this started in february 22nd of 1990 when the Timberwolves traded steve johnson to seattle for brad sellers wow blockbuster huh i know big deal <laughs> johnson was one of the expansion draftees uh for the timberwolves he was unhappy from day one Held out almost the entire season, only played four games before the trade. Uh, Musselman just was never happy with them, never liked what he brought in. Uh, Ended up getting traded for Sellers. Uh, You know what, and as I was doing the research on this, I don't know how I missed this when we talked about it the first time, but I'm surprised that neither Steve Johnson or Brad Sellers are white guys. Those names sound very white to me. Oh, do they? Yeah. <laughs> well, I
1: guess, I guess I've only I've always remembered exactly who they
0: right. like what they
1: look like. Yep. So I guess I was, uh, yeah. I guess you, now that I'm reading them on paper and not like purposely blocking out a picture of what I, I, I made assumptions.
0: It. I found a blind spot in myself uh, through this process. Um, so Johnson only played 24 games for the Warriors the following year and retired at the conclusion of the 1991 season. So they didn't lose out much on him, although it proved to be a failed expansion draft pick. Uh, and then. Sellers was just not much else, you know, for the Timberwolves either. He only played for, you know, uh, that season for the Timberwolves before leaving the country and playing in a, in a European league. He came back for a little bit through the rest of the 90s, but it was never a big deal. So, uh, not a whole lot to bring up that one. And plus, like I said, we've already covered it. Any, more, any other thoughts uh, from that one or any other things that we covered when we re- researched it?
1: No, I mean, I think Steve Johnson was like our first big man that was just sort of. I don't lazy is kind of an unfair term that we always describe big men as who Mm -hmm. don't pan out, but complacent, I think is probably a better word. There's he was one of those guys that probably was always the best player on his team all through call all the way up through college. And then always disgruntled as a pro because he was, things weren't as easy for him, which is why part of the reason why he didn't want to be here and whatever. And so the
0: wolves kind of go on a long run of these types of guys. Right.
1: (laughs) Unfortunately,
0: Uh, two more big men. Uh, were swapped in the Timberwolves' next trade deadline deal on February 23rd of 1994. The Wolves had selected Luke Longley uh, with the sixth overall pick in the, or the seventh overall pick in the 1991 NBA draft. Uh, we were almost there in our chronological telling of, of the team. Uh, but they traded him a year and a half later for Stacy King from Chicago, trying to get more athletic. Uh, the Timberwolves had a new GM by this point, uh, trader Jack McCloskey. He said, I think we're getting a little more athletic player. Uh, we get a post-up player, and Chicago gets a guy who can fit into their system. So I think it turned out okay for Chicago. I don't know how well it turned out for Minnesota. Uh, yeah, I think Jack was half right.
1: Right. I mean, they yeah. definitely got a guy that fit their system better with Luke Longley being such a great passer for a big man. Um, S- stayed there thanks. for quite a while
0: and won three yeah. championships
1: with Chicago. Yeah, and he's synonymous with yeah that that second three-peat. Yep. And then Stacey King, I think it was another guy in the mold of Steve Johnson of just kind of being a complacent big man yep and always was coming into camp out of shape
0: uh, just never ended up being the guy yeah he was a big deal prep. out of, he was a big deal out of college we talked a lot yep. about him in, in the lead-up to the 1989 draft when we were covering that uh, event but he ended up being the sixth pick in Chicago he stayed there for you know almost five years and it had to... But he never averaged more than 8.9 points, 4.7 rebounds, 1.1 assists, or 0.7 blocks in a game. And he had all of those numbers in his rookie season. So he never got back to that point. Um, and he was released uh, on July 1st of 1995 by Minnesota. So he only made it uh, half a season with the with the Timberwolves, did I, or, with, or a season and a half with the Timberwolves before he was gone.
1: I, I talked to you before, maybe even on the podcast, about the, the uh, documentary about Luke Longley on yeah. YouTube. Yep. Did you ever watch it? No, I did not it's fantastic in fact i talked to another guy that doesn't even he, he lives in uh memphis um he's a grizzlies fan but we were talking one night and i was telling him about it and he went and watched it and texted me while he's mm-hmm, watching he's like, mm-hmm. oh this is so good but it for anybody that's interested it covers luke longley's you know college career but it also covers his entire time in minnesota um, and then him going to chicago and being part of that bulls dynasty and it kind of ends with how Luke Longley was kind of saddened to not be a bigger part of the last dance documentary. Right. Um, in fact, they kind of even went out of their way to edit him out of it, which was kind of unfortunate. Um, they have Jordan actually is interviewed on Luke Longley's documentary and kind of apologizes for that. He said it was kind of an oversight. He said part of it was when they were filming like the interviews Mm -hmm. for that documentary, it was during the beginning of COVID and they couldn't travel to Australia to interview. Luke Longley. In fact, for Luke Longley's documentary, they filmed, jordan via, via satellite okay from yep. his and, and which so, was not
0: the quality level that they wanted for the last dance no right no
1: and what was great about it which i think make luke longley really happy is because at the, the end is just luke longley watching jordan talking about luke's time with chicago and luke kind of he was super close to scotty and oddly super super close to rodman because mm-hmm. those two seem like an odd right. couple but they like would hang out all the time Um, But he said he never was close to Jordan. He said Jordan was always kind of distant with him because he wasn't part of the first, you know, three championships. And so he said that um, he just felt like Jordan maybe didn't like him, Mm -hmm. maybe respected him, but wasn't a fan. And Jordan was like, I "I would go to war with Luke Longley any day of the week. He's like, he had the toughest job on the team. You know, he was battling monsters every night in the era of the best big men we've seen in the league. So it was you know, pretty cool to see, you know, and Luke Longley was just kind of like, wow, I can't believe Jordan thinks this way. I mean, you know, and Jordan's like, if I had to do it over again, I'd play my entire career with Luke Longley. He was like, you know, he, so pretty cool, you know, just since he started with Minnesota to see the GOAT speaking so highly of one of ours. Absolutely.
0: You know, you know when we take a look at the long history of trades by the Timberwolves and what could have been, I think. The common theme is that a lot of the players who ended up getting better after they left Minnesota wouldn't have gotten better had they stayed with the right. Timberwolves out there for your time. Luke Longley was probably one of the first to, to cross that path. I don't think we'd even remember who Luke Longley was if he would have stayed in Minnesota, because it just wouldn't have been a, a long, fruitful career for him. But luckily for him, I mean, he ended up in Chicago. He ended up winning those three championships, and now he's he's famous for it. So that's that's pretty cool for him. Yeah, he's like a rock star in Australia. Right. The very next year, uh, the Timberwolves got halfway through a season with another top four pick uh, before trading him away. Daniel Marshall, probably the original stretch four in the league. I, I think back to a Richard Lewis in Orlando a lot when uh, having a stretch four on your roster became a really popular thing, but Daniel Marshall was that long before Richard Lewis. Um, but he was six, nine, he, he was drafted fourth overall in '94 out of Connecticut, uh, signed a nine-year 43 million dollar contract with the Wolves um, as a rookie. So that might have been, had a little bit to do with the trade that ended up happening. I don't know if they looked at the long-term ramifications of that contract and decided they needed to move off of it. But uh, he averaged 10.8 points, 4.9 rebounds, 1.3 blocks in 26 minutes in the half a season that he played with us. So not, not great, not awful. He got plenty of time. He had a 30-10 game once. He started you know just a handful of games, got a little bit of an opportunity. But uh, they decided that they needed to move off of him, and they traded him to Golden State for Goo! Tom Gugliata, everybody's favorite and original Timberwolves All Star.
1: I'm so I remember Danielle Marshall even coming into the draft. That was probably the first draft I watched as a kid, as yeah. a fan. Um, and I was stoked because he was I, I don't remember if they were, won the national title, they're in like the final four or the lead eight or I mean, they made it quite a ways into the tournament if they didn't win it. And I don't remember who won that year, but he was one of those guys watching in the tournament. And I was like, oh. Now I know who he is, and then when the Wolves got him, I was I was pretty stoked. I actually didn't mind the way he played either as a kid, you know, watching. Uh, but obviously, contrary to what you just mentioned about all the guys leaving Minnesota, this is one where a clear cut win in a trade because mm-hmm. obviously Gugliotta was was much improved. He, I mean, he his best years were here, um, and he was a far better player than Danielle was for the Wolves.
0: Yeah, Marshall had a good career. You know, he stayed in Golden State till 2009, ended up playing until, all the way until 2009, had probably his best year in 03-04 with the Raptors, you know, averaging 16 points and 10 rebounds. So he had a long, fruitful career, made a lot of money. Uh, he was a good role player for quite a while, but didn't his peak was never even close to what Tom Gugliotta's peak was with the Timberwolves for those three years. Uh, you know, the Warriors got Gugliotta and three first-round picks uh, initially when Chris Webber decided that he didn't want to play in, in Golden State anymore after one season. So he, he was there for a little while, uh, ended up getting traded to Minnesota. He had only averaged, you know, 11.7.5 rebounds uh, with the Warriors a season before they, you know, that they traded him to Minnesota. Um, but he reached the playoffs three times with Minnesota. He was their first ever All-Star, like I said. Uh, and unfortunately, his career here kind of ended, uh, unfor- you know, poorly. He had ankle injuries, you know, in 1998 that caused him to miss the second half of the season. Then the lockout hit. And by that point, he was so soured on the relationships, especially with Stefan Marbury. That he just decided he was gonna go elsewhere, um, and oddly enough, when despite Minnesota making him the highest offer to retain him, by I think I saw a report that he was offered 27 million more dollars by Minnesota to stay, and just chose to go to Phoenix instead. Uh, the Wolves were surprised, and then quickly pivoted to uh, Joe Smith as their backup plan for the to fill that power forward spot. So, if uh, if Goog stays instead of leaving, that's a, a little bit of a different path forward for the Timberwolves in the late 90s, early 2000s, rather than diving down the, the Joe Smith hole
1: yeah I don't know that it drastically changes one way or the other because goose had uh some health issues the rest of his time anyway <laughs> so you know yeah we'd it's...
0: be we'd be up for a first round draft pick so
1: yeah we would yeah the, yeah. the draft pick part changes a lot um, and they might be high draft picks because we might not be winning any more games
0: anyway mm-hmm. with gooks out so uh, it's hard to hard to picture what that could have looked like so but I think if we're looking back on the on the warm feelings and the good history of any of these players that 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 goose run was was pretty special you know the the initial big three that the Wolves had with him Marbury and Garnett was was really great and I think you know it's it's just one of those things there's like a team that's never been good before all of a sudden just you know figures it out and you you really latch on to those players you know and we were both fairly young at that time you know 1995 or yeah February 1995 but you know just watching the Timberwolves getting our, you know, our feet wet and that long-term history there and Uh, you know, that was a a good one.
1: Yeah, it was, I had a picture on my wall, um, with Googs, Marbury and Garnett, all like laying on the floor with like their heads resting on basketball. So Mm -hmm. it was like just really their three heads kind of in the picture. Um, so it was, and you know, it was, you look back at the talent of Marbury and Garnett and Googs was really the best player in those, out of those three guys. Initially. Yeah. Yeah. Those first. You know, a couple of years here.
0: Yep. So you know, when Garnett became an All Star the first time, he was actually an injury replacement, and Googs was already on the team. So, which is why I say he was our, our initial All Star. They they were in there that that same year, but uh, Googs got in as a as a reserve first. So there was actually a report um, in the L A Times that uh, the Twin Cities newspapers had been speculating about a trade between Minnesota and Golden State for weeks involving Googliata and. Leading up to the actual trade don, trade deadline, the expectation was that either Christian Leitner or Isaiah Ryder would have been included in that trade instead of Danielle Marshall. So, judging by the fact that we're going to uh, talk about trades involving both of those players uh, coming up, <laughs> it might have been better to keep, hold on to Danielle Marshall. But that that would have gotten kind an, of a uh, cool little
1: mix of players, though. If you think like Gugliata Leitner, Ryder, right Garnett, all in the same squad um, for a brief period of right. time there, and then not
0: yep. judging by the personalities it's not shocking it didn't work out but right. but it's like a, it's like that's a lot of talent yeah. it's just, you know it also answers why they forced Kevin Garnett to play small forward for the first 2 years of his career mm-hmm. because they had a lot of power forward depth but was loaded at the 4 yeah uh okay so we move on to the next season so the Timberwolves have have a, a run here of back to back to back deadline trades they trade Christian Leitner away who had been the the third overall pick in in the infamous 1992 draft after Shaq and Alonzo Mourning went first and second. Uh, They trade him away because they have recently acquired Kevin Garnett, and they don't want Christian Laettner around him anymore. And they acquire Sean Rooks. Uh, No, sorry. They trade Christian Laettner and Sean Rooks to Atlanta for Andrew Lang and Spud Webb. So that was less of a let's get some value back, and that was more of a we need to get Christian Laettner off of this team before he influences Kevin Garnett.
1: Yeah, it was kind of after the Laettner sitting in the locker room pointing, loser, 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 yep. winner, pointing at himself, <laughs> and then loser, 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 the rest of the guys. Um, he, you know, was not happy here. They did not get along with, you know. I, I've i seen interviews with Leitner since where he did say he was kind of a baby or kind of overreacted with coaches and staff, but that he said he never really had any issues with players. Like, yeah. he always got along with players. He did say he he could see the writing on the wall that they were, Pushing everything, yeah. Well, they're pushing all the assets and all the attention towards Garnett. And Leitner was like, look, I've already been here for four, three, four years. I don't want to keep rebuilding. I, like it's time to win. So like, he was getting frustrated with the losing, um, especially coming from, you know, a Duke program where they were, they never lost, you know, mm-hmm. they were beating everyone. So he was frustrated, but I mean, he was also kind of a, you know, crabby guy back yeah. in those days too. So, um, he, he was definitely a dark cloud you didn't want to keep around your no. your, your budding and franchise player
0: no and even though they didn't get much back for him I mean Spud Webb kind of finished his career that year with Minnesota he came back two years later to play four games with Orlando but that was really it and then Andrew Lang only played 20 minutes for the Timberwolves as well but I don't think anybody really regretted Christian Leitner being gone even though he ended up making an all-star game with Atlanta he played many more years he had a decent career before injuries really took him out as well but even with the the unfortunate return on that you would have liked to have gotten more for a guy with his skill level but i don't think another guy another former wolf that spent time with jordan you know he yep. played with jordan in washington um you know so so at this point i i'm not i don't know i'm not super upset probably the worst trade that they made was a luke longley for stacy king at this point you know and yeah the best one was obviously, and even
1: then i at the time i'm dumb kid not knowing right, what i'm watching right no and i was excited because we got a guy from the bulls championship team right <laughs> you know like cc came we're like, what how i can't believe they're giving us him for luke longley yeah you know, i mean and luke
0: longley wasn't luke longley when he was on the two no, he didn't no. become that until he won championships so right uh, so it looks bad now didn't look that bad at the time they were both kind of backup centers and it was just kind of a swap from one big man for another but all right so we're moving on to 98 we skipped 97 no big trades that year The Timberwolves trade away their final member of their inaugural team, Doug West, uh, to Vancouver for Anthony Peeler. So kind of unfortunate for Dougie. He spent uh, all the the crap years with the Timberwolves from 89 all the way up to 96 with uh, just toiling through 60 lost seasons, you know, draft pick after lottery pick after lottery pick after draft pick, just bringing in all the, the new young players trying to make this team a thing. And they finally make the playoffs once, and then he's traded away before they actually uh, go on a run of any any consistent winning. So, bummer for yeah, Doug West. Uh, that was a bummer
1: for me, too, because Doug West, I loved Doug West as a kid, and mm-hmm. I never liked Anthony Peeler after we traded Doug West to get yep. him. I always hated Peeler. I hated it. Every time he shot, I was yelling at the TV. I couldn't stand the guy. Like, it just, <laughs> not his fault. It was, like, personally, right. you know, just Who he was I, traded for, right? Who he was traded for. I mean, later, I didn't like it because when— well he and him and garnett got into it in well it was a uh,
0: 0304 he was with the kings so in that western conference finals right. matchup they he was really antagonistic that year it was he his was first, like, try, yeah
1: like with taking swings i remember taking swing at kg but with his elbows yeah so like he couldn't get in trouble for like but he was like you know squaring up like in a boxing stance but he just hit him with like his elbows instead of his his uh fists but anyway i, saw, right. I was like yeah i knew this guy was always D bag.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean he spent five plus years with Minnesota, so that O three oh four season was his first one away from the team, uh, you know, and playing for somebody else. They they needed a score uh in ninety eight because that's the year that Gugliotta had gone down mid season with his ankle problems, so they you know tried to get a they traded for a disgruntled Anthony Peeler at the time, and he was really a, a legitimate three point shooter before that became very popular. Yeah, um, you know, he you sh- was, he
1: had some huge games for the Wolves. Yeah. So I mean I'm not gonna take that away from him. And it, you know, I think part of Doug West issues were also you know alcohol related when they mm-hmm. got rid of him um he was dealing with some some of that and you know he was
0: injured he, as well in that final season yep, so yeah yep. which
1: i think the injuries led to some of the drinking if i remember correctly from what, seeing the interview with him he talked about that's partially why he was turning to alcohol uh-huh. it was to help deal with the the mounting injuries he was sustaining but um was one of those good guys that you just didn't want to see leave the team and you know you bring in peeler i'm just like wow doug west could have played this role like that's what i kept telling myself the entire <laughs> right, run think yeah. peeler was here
0: yeah if west had five more good years left I mean, yeah so so that was i mean that's unfortunate just from a nostalgia standpoint we all still love doug west he's still involved in Timberwolves history he's around he you know he did an episode of uh wolves plus last year with marnie gellner so i mean it's glad i'm glad to see his face and see him around the team still uh, as a member of the the history um uh, the next year, unfortunately, was a big trade. We're not going to really dive into it now because we're going to save most of our analysis for our next episode, but on March 11th, which it was pushed back a little bit due to the lockout and the season starting later, the Timberwolves traded Stefan Marbury to New Jersey as a part of a huge three-team deal. The Wolves got Terrell Brandon, Brian Evans, and the sixth pick in 1999, which ended up becoming Wally Zerbiak. So that is a is a history-making trade for the Timberwolves and kind of a uh, an inflection point for their history. for their long-term history and future. So uh, we will save that one a little bit. And like I said, next week, we'll dive into that one more and what that actually meant for the franchise. Uh, But let's move on to 2002. So it's a three-year gap here before they make another deadline deal. And not exactly as big as a Stefan Marbury trade, but they traded Dean Garrett in 2007, second-round pick to Golden State for Mark Jackson. Uh, Two centers, once again, being traded for each other, just trying to find another big guy to go next to Kevin Garnett at the time. And I don't have a lot of opinions or memories about mark jackson i remember liking dean garrett but not as a good player just because he was around when i was you know when the timberwolves were winning so um mark jackson was actually in philadelphia when i was an intern there but still i have very little recollection as to him as a person or a player or really anything like that so
1: yeah i think i mean dean garrett if i remember correctly was an older rookie and mark jackson was an older rookie so they were kind of like kind of similar to like uh luke longley stacy king trade where it was kind of similar type players in terms of their backgrounds. Dean Garrett was much more of a defense oriented center. Mark Jackson was all offense. Mm -hmm. Um, I I remember at the time the Wolves really needed another big body to contend with the other bigs in the West, like Shaq and you know, Tim Duncan and some of these guys that we were potentially meeting in the playoffs. Um, So I was, I remember I was sitting in a parking lot when I was listening to K fan when they were talking about the trade and they like play a clip. Somebody tells, the Lakers, they're in the Lakers locker room, they tell Shaquille. Because at the time of the dra- deadline, Mark Jackson was like the number one guy that everybody was trying to get on the dra- trade deadline day. It was yep. like, he was like the, the hottest rumor player.
0: Yeah, he was. The Golden State GM came out and said that the only offer they received was Minnesota's offer, but I don't know if he was trying to downplay it or if they just set their their asking price so high that all the other teams just walked away before Minnesota came in with an yeah, or the,
1: offer. Yeah, or the media built that rumor up more yep. than any actuality of anything happening. Cause I think what Mark Jackson had a great rookie year the year before, like he was yep. even it talked about as rookie of the year candidate. I don't really remember who else was in that class, but I remember him getting some conversations about that. Is that well, the Yao Ming Steve Francis draft in 02? Probably. But I can't imagine he would have got talked about, but yeah, it could have been, but he had, he had a nice run like after the all-star break, I believe that year, his rookie year, like where he was, I think he averaged like 14 and seven or something as a rookie, but he was, you know, closer to like 20 and 10 mm-hmm. for like a month and a half or something there that kind of padded his stats. But um, anyway, so I was super pumped to get him. And then they they play a clip where they're telling Shaq after practice that day in the locker room, they go, "The Timberwolves just traded for Mark Jackson. And Shaq just goes, so? <laughs> <laughs> it was like such a, def- like all the air. Yeah. Right. Sucked out of the, the hype in the room for me. I was just like, oh, I was like, at least hoping like, oh, you know, you get some sort of, Prototypical non information type comment from a player. Oh, well, you know, that's a te- that's an up and coming team, and they could use it big man. They're gonna be tough for us. No, it was yeah, just, no, soap. not at all. And then he was like, Who's Mark Jackson?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Wolves were improving at this time. This was when they were finally making the move from like just happy to be in the playoffs to they were a mid seed and but still getting knocked out by teams that were higher seeded than them. Before finally in, in 03, they come back and they, I think they played the Lakers in a four five matchup and lost before, you know, and then the famous 04 run, you know that we all still remember because it was the peak of our Timberwolves' lifetimes, but but yeah, Mark Jackson didn't do much. He was only around for a year and a half, so uh, shipped out to, or went over to Philadelphia before the 04 season. But it was 6 years then before the Timberwolves would make another trade deadline deal. This time the entire uh, state of the franchise has changed. We never made the playoffs again after 04. Kevin Garnett was traded away in the summer of 07. One of the players that came back in the Kevin Garnett trade was Gerald Green, uh, so he was, tr- but he was traded away in on February twenty-first of two thousand eight to Houston for Kirk Snyder and a second-round pick. Gerald Green was, as a prospect, as exciting as they come. I think we we're all, you know, super hopeful for what he could turn into and wanted him to become more than he was. But for the most part, until you know later in his career, at times with Houston, he was never really able to put together anything consistent that led to actual winning on the court, despite all his athletic gifts. Uh, so it was, it was unfortunate to see him go, you know, just for a, a role player like Kirk Snyder. But he never turned into much more that would have fetched anything else.
1: No, it was kind of a weird, too, because Gerald Green always kind of was like a poor man's Vince Carter to me, where he had all this great athleticism, um, you know, but like Vince Carter, he became a very useful player deep into, obviously, he's, you know, yeah. old man by the time he finally left. Um, by becoming a better shooter, and Gerald Green kind of did the same thing. That's why they always kind of remind me of each other. Like When Gerald Green came into the league, all he could do was dunk. He didn't have a shot. Kirk Snyder, I remember, back in these days, I was spending a lot of time on the Star Tribune Timberwolves forums Mm -hmm. chatting with other Wolves fans, and Kirk Snyder was one of the guys that, you know, smarter than me, basketball fans, were always super high on him being a, a kind of a sneaky good get for the Wolves if they could get him. This Prior to this trade, once they got him, it was sort of like some of the trades that you and I used to always dream of that where it was like, okay, well now that's kind of worn out. It's, it's not as interesting as it was, would have been two years ago. Um, so it was, you know, at the, when we
0: traded away Joe green to Kirk Snyder, I was kind of like Shaq. I was like, so <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it didn't make much of a difference moving forward. The Timberwolves were awful for many years after that. They were, it was, it was before they drafted Kevin Love. It was before they drafted Ricky Rubio and Johnny Flynn or Wes Johnson or Derek Williams. And all of those, picks, you know, even though they're all top six picks, barely made a dent in the Timberwolves fortunes either until Rick Adelman came along. So 2008 was about as low as you can go (laughs) in terms of uh, Timberwolves fandom. It was the Mike Miller years. Um, So we moved on though to 2009. Once again, not another big deal, but another, another big, you know, college prospect that had come onto the Wolves that ended up flaming out a little bit. Calvin Booth and Rashad McCants were traded away to Sacramento for Bobby Brown and Sheldon Williams. Uh, We didn't get much from Rashad McCants from what we wanted we also got nothing from Bobby Brown or Sheldon Williams so a very inconsequent inconsequential deal yeah that was Sheldon Williams in the same draft class as McCants do you remember he was in the Randy Foy uh Brandon Roy deal okay. because I think he got a promise early about it from our Atlanta that everybody questioned like why would you make a promise to Sheldon Williams when Lamarcus Aldridge you know is going up there with Tyrus Thomas and like, Foy and Roy were both still there at the time. Yeah. That type of stuff. So, Yeah, so I, I,
1: I was kind of like, oh, well, maybe this will work out for us. I mean, yeah. it clearly it didn't. But, a younger, I mean, I a would, younger
0: big that you hope does
1: something. Yeah, but yeah. Yep. And McCants was a guy that I couldn't wait to get off the roster. I was never a big fan of him. Um, I mean, I'm
0: a big Carolina fan, so when they brought him in, you know, it was... yeah. <laughs> I don't know which Carolina player from their championship team that year ended up being the biggest bust because it was him and Sean May and... Raymond Felton were kind of the big three names coming out of that class. I think Marvin Williams was the one who, he was like their sixth man and ended up going second in his draft class, you know, after Andrew Bogut. But I don't know what, all of those guys ended up disappointing for where they were actually ended up being picked, unfortunately. Yeah, for sure. um, Speaking of Sheldon Williams and a big body that can hopefully become something, in 2015, so we're jumping ahead six years now, and Flip is now the GM of the Timberwolves, and we've gone through another gigantic organizational change uh the the wolves traded away a future 2018 first round pick to atlanta for adrian Payne, uh probably at the behest of flip's good friend uh tom izzo from michigan state and i think even at the time the day that trade was made everybody was screaming about the fact that they had they traded away a future first round pick for a guy who had been played as poorly in his rookie year as adrian Payne, especially another older older rookie but uh that that turned out about as well as everybody predicted would
1: yeah, I mean, I, I was—I don't know. This was like you said. This was at, in a time where our team was pretty bad still, mm-hmm. and I was just excited to be in the mix for a move around the deadline, right? Um, you know, so I was like, oh, okay. you want—you want the news? You want
0: the excitement of hearing right. about a trade? You just want to be,
1: yeah, you want to be—you want to be, you know, present for the big, you know, the fun trade deadline day. You just want to be in—in in, in the mix somehow, even with yeah. a minor move. Um. So, but yeah, he didn't. Payne had a couple moments where you're like, oh, well, maybe we can develop him. Another um, athlete that just yeah. never
0: put it together. Luckily, uh, that same year, nine days later, the Timberwolves traded Thaddeus Young to Brooklyn for Kevin Garnett. It's very unfortunate that Thaddeus Young didn't become the best version of himself for the Timberwolves because he could have been a great fit long term. The Timberwolves actually chose him over a first round pick in the Andrew Wiggins, Kevin Love deal. Uh, and he's a good power forward, and he's remained a good power forward ever since then. He's still in the league, you know, still doing his thing. But uh, for the brief period of time that he was here, for the year and a half that he got to close out his career, it was very exciting to see Kevin Garnett back in a Timberwolves uniform, get that time watching him with rookie Rubio, and then Carl Anthony Towns as a rookie, and just get that experience one more time after it ended so poorly the first time. Yeah,
1: I mean, I another one where I remember where I was when I heard this. I was sick that day, mm-hmm. and I was so pumped, just for KG to be coming back. I like I would. It's kind of like the Rubio one later, um, but way bigger because KG is like my favorite all time right. athlete. I yep. just never thought there was going to be a possibility to bring him back. Yeah. I, I remember thinking, I'm like, boy, giving up Thad Young for this old version of KG, uh-huh. it's kind of steep. But I don't care because we, right. we get yeah. KG back even if he doesn't play. He's
0: just sitting on the bench.
1: I'm. I think it's worth it just because. You get to bring him home. But. Well,
0: that that was the hardest part about Flip, though, is like he probably he cared about the emotions just as much as any of us did. Like he never right. looked at things analytically. He never no. cared about what the actual value said. He just, which is why
1: I think he was so, he's such a beloved, yeah, you know, figure in Wolves history because he he's like a giant fan who just happens to be you know a pretty good coach. Right. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: got to, he got to be the lead decision maker. Yep. But uh, you know, so then that once again we go another five year gap between trade deadline deals. Uh, so if we're going if we're going at, you know, the history here, the Timberwolves probably aren't due for a trade deadline deal this year, but uh, in 2020, oof, I got to take a deep breath before this one because there's a couple gigantic trades, including this one. Let me see. I'm going to read this straight from basketball reference. So <laughs> February 5th, 2020, as part of a four-team trade, the Minnesota Timberwolves traded Jordan Bell and Robert Covington to the Houston Rockets. The Minnesota Timberwolves traded Keita Bates-Diop, Shabazz Napier, and Noah Vonley to the Denver Nuggets. The Atlanta Hawks traded a 2026 second round pick to the Houston Rockets. The Atlanta Hawks traded Evan Turner and a 2020 first round pick to the Minnesota Timberwolves. And the Denver Nuggets traded Malik Beasley, Wancho Hernan Gomez, and Jared Vanderbilt to the Minnesota Timberwolves. The Houston Rockets traded Clint Capella and Dene to the Atlanta Hawks. And the Houston Rockets traded Gerald Green, who's coming back once again, and a 2020 first round pick to the Denver Nuggets. So that was all one trade. It's a four-team trade. The the Gerson Rosas special, he blew it up. Uh, We sat through a half season of the Timberwolves forcing a style on players that didn't actually fit the way they wanted to play. And uh, I think it was becoming pretty clear as that season went on that Robert Covington, who is probably our second best player on the roster, just might not be long for the team due to his contract and the fact that they needed to to change things up, and he was really the only asset they had. So they essentially flipped Robert Covington for Malik Beasley, Wancho Hernan Gomez, and a first-round pick. Um, So, uh, and then... uh, at the time, it was very under, undersold and a throw-in part of the trade, but Jared Vanderbilt coming back ended up actually being the biggest part of that trade for the Timberwolves. So it was a gigantic trade. It the completely changed the way the Wolves play and the way you thought about the Wolves, at least for that half a season.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I know we're going to talk about this later, so I won't get too into it, but how many of these names – I mean, like we, the, I think the book's still unwritten for a lot of these guys. Like Pokushevsky might end up becoming the best player out of this group you
0: know, right. He was, he ended up being the first round pick that the Wolves got from Atlanta, in which case they sent that over to Denver or not to Denver, to Oklahoma City in the rookie Rubio trade, the, you know, in the following off season when they brought him in. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these pieces have even switched teams since 2020 when this trade was made.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and I think the best player at the time was clearly Covington. Yep. Um, you know, like,
0: and we th- it, yeah, we thought the prize was going, to nah, lose him. It is now that the Wolves are rumored to be looking, you know, interested in bringing him back. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, it would be great to
1: get him back. Like, there's a guy going back to the beginning of the conversation about if you got him for Torian Prince, well, yeah. that's Right, if you
0: could slide him into that role, absolutely. Yeah, that's a huge win. So, you know, at the time, Beasley was kind of the gem of that that deal, especially with his outside shooting and the way that he played for the next year and a half for the Timberwolves when they really needed him. Um, Wancho, for half a season, showed a lot of promise before getting a a long-term contract and falling off the face of the earth last year. And he's already been traded again, right? He's like been he's traded, traded, I think, three times. <laughs> we traded him to Memphis. Memphis traded him to Boston, and he was recently traded again. Right. So, I forgot that he went to Memphis. I was just thinking he went to Boston. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. From Boston just traded him. Was the one I was thinking of was like, So, anybody that's been listening to us for the last couple of years knows my feelings on Wancho. But like I said, they also got Jared Vanderbilt, um, and he's been he's been key to what they do today. So, uh, he was the the hidden gem of that trade. Uh, and then the f- next day. They they topped it, at least in terms of uh, surprise and intrigue and newsworthiness, by trading Andrew Wiggins and a 2021 first-round draft pick and a 2021 second-round draft pick to Golden State for Jacob Evans, D'Angelo Russell, and Amari Spellman. And the, the Wolves pick was top three protected, uh, but that actually ended up did not not mattering because of all the injuries the Wolves dealt with last year. So they conveyed the pick. It became Jonathan Kaminga, number seven in this last offseason's uh draft. Uh, and then the Wolves also completed another three team trade, trading Gorgie Jang to Memphis. Uh Memphis traded Jay Crowder, Solomon Hill and Andre Godala to the Heat. The Heat traded Dion Waiters and Justice Winslow to the Grizzlies, and the Heat traded James Johnson to the Timberwolves. James Johnson that following off season was then used in along with that pick uh for in the rookie Rubio trade. So all these pieces ended up being moved again, you know, down in the fu- in the future. But uh, but the big deal there, the big news was the the Andrew Wiggins for D'Angelo Russell trade and I you know I think it's optimistic even and pleasantly surprising to say that the jury is still out on that trade, even with all the assets that the Timberwolves had to give up to acquire D'Angelo Russell. Yeah,
1: I mean it looked not so good, mm-hmm. you know, a year ago, um, but right now, I if, if gone to my head and forced to make a decision on whether I want to do it again, I would probably still do it because, I mean, I like Kuminga as a player, but I don't. Like the combination of him and Wiggins more than Delo, even mm-hmm. th- even though Spellman and Evans and those guys did not, you know, were non factors completely. Yeah. Um, I think, I, th- I mean, Delo's become so. We talked about it last podcast. You know, if Cat's your best player, um, Ant Man's your your biggest personality and the future of your team. Like he's the, your biggest shining light yep. for the franchise. So he's probably your biggest asset. Delo is probably your most important player because without Delo, Cat and Ant just aren't enough, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so it's, you know, it, you're not going to be that, in that same spot with Wiggins. I can't, I, I just don't think this team's even close to 500 if you replace Delo with Andrew Wiggins. And now, who knows? Maybe you can move Wiggins for something else, but...
0: Right. And as we've seen with these deals, all of these players aren't getting moved in, at another time with another piece that came in from a different area. So every decision ends up making being a differentiator in 13 other decisions. So if you look back back at it if you try to follow the chain of events if the wolves decide not to make that trade they keep Andrew Wiggins instead of D'Angelo Russell. The following offseason, they probably decided to go with Lomelo Ball instead of Anthony Edwards because at that point, they have a wing in Wiggins. They don't have a point guard. Instead of having a point guard in D'Angelo Russell and not having a wing. And then they have a pick this last summer. I don't know if they go with Kaminga. I don't know even what the roster is looking at. They probably have a higher pick because they were so, it would have been so much worse. You know, The previous season, having Wiggins instead of Russell, I just, it could have gone in so many different directions. But I think the one thing that we can all say is that Andrew Wiggins, even... Even if you want to say he has improved, which I would argue against. I think he's largely the same player, just with different gravity around him from the players that he's playing with. It wouldn't have gotten any better in Minnesota. He was no. what he was. He was not growing, especially with the fact that they spent the first half of last year with Ryan Saunders and nobody really improved during that period of time. So he would have been, he would have been moved by now for something. And whether or not just it, getting it, off his contract would have been more worth it than bringing on D'Angelo Russell. I don't know. think it is. I now. don't think and it actually, is. I mean, I don't. Uh, I, I wouldn't have. A big piece. Yeah.
1: and I actually don't know that it's clear that they would have probably taken Lamelo if they didn't trade Wiggins because um, a couple reasons. One, they, they they never were necessarily looking at D'Lo as strictly that that point guard of the future. They traded for Ricky mm-hmm. after that while having D'Lo on there. They added Beverly this year, so like they were still adding point guards who were going to play starter like minutes. Yep. even after acquiring D'Lo, so I think. That and then couple that with the article that Krasinski put out about Ant Man, right? Talking about how the, the, the Wolves front office looked at every facet of these guys between um, Wiseman, yep. Ball, and Ant, and they were looking for that extra it factor. Just and Wiseman didn't want to be here. Ball, they said, was kind of weirdly quiet, giving one word answers in his interviews with the Wolves, whether that was because he was shy or he was also trying not to get selected here mm-hmm. and ant-man wanted it like and i so i think based off of that information they would have taken ant-man regardless just because i think they were convinced he was gonna be the best player um and you know they, you know and maybe they play ant-man still yeah he he facilitates the offense quite a bit anyway in his role so you know he's not a little mellow ball type facilitator but he's um com- competent at it so yeah. So I don't know, like maybe nothing else changes and it's just a difference. Wiggins of, instead of D'Lo? Yeah. And and then maybe you have Kaminga too um, or whoever else you might take there. Yeah. I don't know. Kaminga kind of fits some some things we would not need too, but maybe we are going point guard there um, just because you don't really have a, a younger one. Maybe you still have Beverly. Who else? But so to me, you know, I think it's a, a fair exercise just to kind of look at it for straight up, you know, with your t- current teams. Like is golden state better off with DLO? No, we, I, I think
0: go- if you're looking at it from a golden state point of view, they, they made the right trade. I think that worked out well for them for the role that they need. I think Andrew Wiggins is overpaid for a role player. I think in the, one of my favorite pastimes on Twitter is trolling golden state warriors fans and uh, just throwing things out there just to see how they respond to it. One of my recent comments was that Andrew Wiggins is uh, West coast, Danny green. And uh, I don't think they took too kindly to that one, but, uh, I think they would still be happy with that trade. I don't think Delo was a good fit for what they were looking for. I don't think he was the right type of asset on that team to to play alongside what they needed. I mean, he he's not he's less of a role player than Andrew Wiggins is. He he needs to command the ball a little bit more. He needs to be a, a strong part of your offense. So, um, I think they're happy with the, with the trade, and I I don't deny them that. But I also don't think that the Timberwolves necessarily should be unhappy with their end of it.
1: Yeah, I I think it's worked out just as well for the Wolves as it has for Golden State personally. So I don't think we have to be insecure about that trade like no. some of these other ones on this list.
0: No, it wasn't the worst. It wasn't the best. I mean, I don't know if it was the best. I don't.
1: No, Googs was the best. Yeah,
0: but it definitely wasn't the worst. And and that was the last deadline deal. There wasn't one last year. Uh, the Wolves are coming up here, like we said, two weeks away from another trade deadline. It's on February tenth. We'll probably uh, record that night after everything happens and just break down any deals that the Timberwolves make along with uh, any other big news coming out of the NBA. Uh, Like I said, next week we'll be back. We're going to do a deep dive into that Stefan Marbury uh, trade deadline deal uh, when he went to New Jersey. And uh, hopefully we can dig up some things you haven't heard before, have a little bit of fun with it. But thanks for taking part in this uh, trip down memory lane for all the the deadline deals in Timberwolves history. It's been a, a long 32 years of... Good trades, bad trades, swapping backup centers and whatnot. So, uh, Chad, this was fun. Let's do it again. Sounds good, man. Alrighty, you have a good week. Yeah, you too. Take care. Bye, buddy.